Welcome back to the A's and B's of Horror. With me, as always, is my buddy, Mark. And I'm Jim. We're your hosts. First, let's mention we have a Facebook group, the A's and B's of Horror podcast. We have an email now available, the A's and B's of Horror at gmail.com. We are becoming ubiquitous. We are. We have now gone live on every major podcast streaming service, including Stitcher, Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So search for us wherever you get your podcasts. So, Mark, let's explain to our new listeners what exactly we're doing here today. Um, You're going to give your opinion on some movies, and I'm going to correct your opinion. (laughs) Wow. I'm glad you think so highly of yourself. (laughs) So uh, what we do is we pick a modern, well, doesn't have to be modern, but a mainstream well-known horror movie. Uh, we pair it up with a lesser-known movie that maybe fits the theme or, or, something, garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or something which just, uh, you know, would go well in the double bill. Yeah, absolutely. And we have two doozies today, let me tell you. So, so, so we go, so, go so a little bit of a backstory. Jim picked Poltergeist for today. And, Indeed. Uh, after last week, you know, I, I kind of pushed Jim out of his comfort zone a little bit with uh, New York Ripper. I thought I'd, I thought I'd throw him a bone here and give him oh. an absolute classic um, as my B pick. Um, we will get on to whether Jim finds it a classic or not, and uh, whether he's right or wrong. Indeed, we will. Indeed, we will. We will get to that. Okay. So first up, um, Jim Poltergeist. We probably won't do the deep dive that we normally do, but I have some other topics around it uh, I'd like to talk about. Uh, First of all, uh, Jim, do you believe in curses? No. No, I don't. I believe in runs of bad luck, but after after reading everything that ever happened on this set or to the the actors and crew involved, I'm not so sure that this place, this thing wasn't cursed. Uh, so, so let's run down what happened here. So, um, unfortunately, uh, the youngest uh, member of the cast, Heather O'Rourke, uh, she died during filming of Poltergeist 3. Yes. Jim, do you know the story behind what happened to Heather? I, I know the basics. I know that she was um, in and out of the hospital. They believed that she had the flu. Um, and she was treated as such, and it turned out she had an intestinal blockage, but unfortunately, at the point that they caught it, uh, she had gone septic, if I'm not mistaken. Correct me if I'm wrong. That That's just off off the top of my head. I, yeah, I don't remember. So, so, so the other part of that um, tragic story is that the doctors misdiagnosed her, um, I believe it was congenital stenosis. Um, ah. They thought she had Crohn's disease. Um, ah. So they were giving her like steroid shots, which if you watch Poltergeist 3, her face is very puffy. Yes. Um, yes that, 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 that comes from those steroid shots. And um, she eventually had a heart attack. Um, uh-huh. They rushed her into the hospital. They tried to do surgery on her. She had another heart attack and died. Uh-huh. <clears throat> um, the, the other more, you know, Equally famous, I would say, is the death of Dominic Dunn. Yes, that that was very tragic. So um, she was strangled to death, right, by her boyfriend, uh, guy called John. It was very, it was very close to the time that the movie even came out. Correct. Right. 
And uh, he, he actually worked as a sous chef uh, under Wolfgang Puck. Really? That I did not know. Yeah, so he, he strangled her. And he only got like two and a half years. Uh, uh, um, blows my mind. So the, the, yeah. those, are, those are the two kind of big ones, um, I would say. Well, Obviously, Julian Beck in Poltergeist 2. Right. Um, but, you know, he already had stomach cancer. Right. Uh, and he actually, he was already diagnosed prior to filming, though. Right. He performed that entire role knowing he was sick. Right. And the, the other one that sometimes people talk about is Will Sampson, um, who died two years, I think, after Poltergeist 2. Um, I think he had, like, again, some sort of congenital or chronic um, ailment. And right. So he passed away, too. So you have four people uh, dying. Well, Does that constitute a curse, though, over a span of a number? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think so because you're talking. You're, you're mentioning things that um, took place over the course of three films, right? The last of which, if I'm not mistaken, was the early '90s. Um, uh, no, it was the late '80s. Late '80s. Okay. It was the '87, I think. Poltergeist. Okay, so I was a little off. Um, but so I, I don't think that that's enough. But if the urban legend is to be believed. Because I remember when this was all the rage and very popular. Didn't Joe Beth Williams also had a number of miscarriages between the first and second movie? Perhaps. Um, so, that, and all of that. But when you do a movie like this, um, even like with The Exorcist, people are going to try and draw parallels to everything. Because that was another one of those cursed movies. There were, there were so many deaths um, involved with the cast and crew in making that film. Um, it always seems to be, for the most part, that whenever we talk about cursed films, they tend to be horror films. So I think there's something, you know, they want to tie that in, whether the fans or, yeah. I don't know, the, the journalists or whatever, because it's sensational. Yeah, 100%. I actually was watching the... Um, I don't know if you've seen the Cursed Movies um, series. On I have not watched Shutter. that yet. Um, I, I've just gotten back on the Shutter bandwagon, so I will be checking that out. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I went into that thinking, oh, my God, it's going to be like the fucking History Channel. It's ghosts and, you know, curses, and they're all real and stuff. They have some guests on there that are, that kind of bought, you know buy into that bullshit, um, but they also have some that don't. But it, it, I think it's fairly balanced, and it's not like, oh, every, you know, it's real and it's the devil does this and all this sort of crap. But um, yeah. they had um, they had an interview with uh, they showed an interview with Zelda Rubenstein, I guess after Poltergeist three and uh, Heather died. You know, there was a lot of the curse thing going around, so she yeah. eventually. She, you know, she went on to like a new show or whatever and was interviewed. And she said it perfectly. She said, you know, Heather died, you know, uh, Dominic died. Uh, you know, it, it's disrespectful to them to run around talking about a fucking curse. She said it was just superstitious crap. Right. And I, I can see that. I can see that point. However, that superstitious crap doesn't sell movies. Right. Right, so you don't see many comedy movies. I mean, the only other one that sticks in my mind that you know people said there was a curse around was uh, Wizard of Oz, which you know, to be fair, could be looked at as a horror movie. So. Well, yeah, I mean, it could be. However, I've never heard anything about it being cursed. 
I mean, I've heard about weird things happening on set, but mostly it was attributed to bad behavior. And yeah. the, the, I mean, you can you can see weird stuff in every movie. Like I, I even read a story where they said that some there was uh, a, a ghost caught on camera in Three Men and a Baby. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, stuff stuff like that. Just that you can find parallels everywhere um, to to support your facts or your sorry, not facts theories when it comes to haunted productions or, you know, ghosts on movie sets and all that crap. Uh, have you ever heard of a term called uh, pareidolia, Jim? I have not. So pareidolia is uh, the way our brains function um, mm -hmm. is that we tend to see patterns in things yep. where there is no actual pattern. You know, oh, mm -hmm. there's a, a, a face in that tree. When right. It's just a tree, but that's the way our brains look at things. So. You know, I don't believe in curses. I think, you know, certainly the first Poltergeist is an absolute classic. Um, Poltergeist it is. is fun. Poltergeist yeah. 3 uh, is felt cheap. Um, even yeah, though it, it, was, it was a blatant cash grab. There was no rhyme, reason, or even cohesive story to that movie. It's just cheap and not that interesting yeah. and whatever. Um, did you see the uh, remake? Yes. Um, what do you think about the remake? I did not like it. I I, I don't, don't even believe I finished watching it. The, the remake to me was just like one of these unnecessary yeah. remakes where they didn't really add much to it. I mean, the only thing that I remember that I liked was that, you know, they used a drone to go to the other side. I thought, you know, that was interesting. Um, but overall, just bland and forgettable. Yeah, 100% agree. Okay, so I'm going to do... I'm going to point out some of my my highlights or lowlights or surprises from this movie. Just that, that's uh, my goal with our discussion of this movie. Okay. So first I want to say that this movie is, well, let me put it, the chemistry between the quote-unquote family members in this film is near perfection. You know, watching this movie, and I don't know if this is nostalgia talking, but watching this movie... You honestly believe that they are a familial unit. Mm -hmm. um, the, the banter between Diane, well, Diane and Stephen, mm -hmm. is they, they have such great chemistry on on screen. So do um, Robbie and Dana and Carol Ann. Like you could really get into believing that this is a family unit. So the first introduction to Carol Ann. I thought was great because it's a little bit of misdirection, right? They, they show her at the bottom of her parents' bed watching the staticky TV. Right. I'm right. sorry. Let me just jump in real quick about the sure. family thing. Um, and, you know, it, there's probably another discussion about who directed <laughs> it, really. Uh, but, I mean, it's such a cliche of, uh, like, a, a cliche in a good way, though, that Steve, um, Steven Spielberg um, really does do a good job writing um you know these families that that that's, that feel believable yeah and having actors that can carry that out uh, yeah but anyway sorry go ahead that's okay so um i was talking about the first time we see carol ann right they set her up in my opinion it's the creepy kid she's she's what she's sitting at in front of a, a staticky tv yelling i can't hear you what are you saying i can't hear you I can't hear you. And she wakes up everybody in the house and they're like, what is wrong with this little kid? Right. So then we flash to the next day, you know, no big deal. It, every, 
every kid has weird episodes, I guess. Although there is a there is a quote unquote earthquake after that, right? There. So she's talking to the TV people, at right? The start, right. And then, like the the whole place shakes. No, no, no. That's that's the that second happened? time she's talking to the TV. The the the, the quote unquote earthquake is when she says they're here. They're here. Right. This is this is the very beginning of the movie, which um, where she's just talking and she wakes everybody up by yelling, "I can't hear you! I can't hear you!" Mm -hmm. um, so I, I appreciated that, but then they they turn it on on its head a little bit because then you realize exactly how sweet and innocent this little girl is when her mother is cleaning her room. She finds out that their pet bird Tweety has died. So my first question is. Who in the hell flushes a dead bird? Well, who 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 first? <laughs> if you notice what she does, she actually flushes, and then she's going to drop the bird. Right, right. But that's that, not that, good that TV. Is, that, is, that is going to be a plumbing issue. <laughs> yes, one hundred percent. But lo and behold, she's caught by Caroline. So Caroline gets all weepy and sad for her bird. They get a cigar box. You know, she does all the sweet stuff. This is for when he's hungry. This is for when it's nighttime, you know, all, all the, the sweet little stuff. And then they have a little ceremony on the side, um, which lets you see exactly how sweet and innocent this little girl is, right? And how, and how hungry the dog is. Yeah, because he does he does want that bird. <laughs> can, can you explain to me um, the name of the dog and why they named him that? I do not know why they named him that, but the dog's name is Ebaz. Ebaz. Yes, I have no idea either. <laughs> it's like Stephen King, you know, like, yeah. I don't know where he pulled that from, but, you know. Yeah, no idea. Um, so the next scene we get, I think you really get um, a feel for the relationship that Stephen and Diana have. They are a bunch of ex-hippies, right? Mm -hmm. And they're sitting in their bedroom just talking and, and you know, enjoying each other's company and getting stoned. Right. So... At the end of the scene, uh, at the end of, after, <laughs> in the scene, Robbie comes in and he's having an issue with uh, the storm. He's he's scared of the storm. Um, sorry, Jim, whenever uh, they're getting stoned, if you yes. remember, Craig T. Nelson does like a, a duck voice. Do you remember that? Uh, I do actually when he's tickling Diane. So could he be the New York Ripper? No, no, I think I think no. we are well past that that category. Well, yeah, just, <laughs> just one other just one other thing, which was is the most kid thing ever. Um, when <laughs> they're burying the uh, bird, then you know, right after, um, Carol Ann's like, "Can I get a goldfish?" <laughs> oh yes, 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 yes. I'm sorry, I did not pick that up. Can I have a goldfish now? Um, so anyway, that that pretty much ends that scene where Robbie learns how to count between the thunder and the lightning. Mm -hmm. That never worked for me as a kid. Did that ever work for you? Did you ever try it? Um, no, I never really had to. We didn't really get storms uh, where I came from, like here. So it was never really a big thing. Where you came from? Venus? Mars? Where are we talking? <laughs> a temperate climate that's not Florida <laughs> with the tropical that storms. <laughs> that is true. So anyway, the next evening, um, Oh, I do have an actual tidbit about this scene, right? So the next morning, it's a busy morning in the Freeling house, right? They're every everybody's bustling and they're everybody's getting ready. 
while after everybody's left the house, it's Carol Ann and, and Diane left in the house and. Uh, Carol Ann is watching snowy TV again. Mm -hmm. And mom comes over, she changes the channel. So, Honey, don't watch that. You'll hurt your eyes. So the kid never moves. And now Diane is running around the house cleaning up. She goes into the other room, comes back and goes to grab Caroline and realizes that all the TV, all of the chairs are now stacked on top of the table. <gasps> right? A big gasp. This is the first paranormal event in the house so far. So fun fact about that scene, Mark. I don't know if you know or not. Did you know that was one continuous take? Um, yes, because they had um, like the the hands, the grips or whatever, um, come in and just put it on the table. How long did they have to do that? Well, they were all glued together. Yes, but how long did they have to do that? Uh, it was like five seconds or something crazy. Nine. Nine seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so next, we're moving on. It's time for the uh, beginning. It's time for the next storm, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, wait. I've, no, I skipped over the there here. Why don't you give us the there here synopsis while I make sure I uh, have my... <laughs> Have my notes i'm in my the proper place for my notes so let, let me just throw a bit of trivia at you have you heard about the uh poster in robbie's room i can't i don't know i, I did notice the obs obscene amount of star wars toys right in the movie but if you look even though that the uh movie set you know present day in like 82 right a poster there um of the super bowl in 1988 really and the um, the date on it is January thirty first, nineteen eighty eight, which is the day that Heather O'Rourke fell fatally ill. Really hmm, interesting. That's very interesting. That's my tidbit. Don't believe in curses. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so we're on to the next night, and Caroline is sleeping with her parents, and so is Robbie. And the TV shuts off, or it goes to static, as it did back in those days. Right. After after uh, a certain period of time, they would play the national anthem, and then it would go to snow. Mm -hmm. The minute it, the minute it flips to snow, Caroline is up and out of the bed. She's sitting at the end of the bed, and she's talking to the people in the TV. So the next thing we see is a giant arm shoot into the wall above her parents' bed, and the entire house starts to shake. So now everybody's awake. Caroline, the shaking subsides, and Caroline turns and says, "They're here." Mm -hmm. So, anyway, now we go through the next morning with the chair scene, and the mom asks, and Diane asks her, "Who, who, who are they?" And what does she respond with? The TV people. The TV people. Mm -hmm. So, that night, there's another storm. And Robbie is laying in his bed trying to calm himself with the trick his dad taught him. So, sorry, um, Jim, I, I, yeah. I'm trying to remember here. So yes, before that happens, do we have the scene with the, the, the builders making the pool? Yeah, that, that is the whole, uh, that all takes place uh, before she cleans up. Right, and, <laughs> and they're sexually harassing the 16-year-old daughter. Yes. Uh, while the mom just laughs it off. <laughs> like, yes. 
So there's, there's another point that I have I have noted um, that happens a, a little bit further into the movie where you can really tell that is this is a different time. That, oh. um, that I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but there, there's another point where I'll, I'll bring that up again, that you can tell that this is set in a different time mm. because there is no way in hell that that will happen in this day and age. Yep. So back onto the second storm, Robbie is a, a tree attempts to eat Robbie, right? So another piece of trivia I found about this movie is when that's happening, he says, it's eating me, it's eating me, it's swallowing me down. It turns out he was actually being hurt by the mechanism that was swallowing him. So they had to stop filming in the middle of that scene. Huh. Yeah. If I'd known that, I, I met him at the convention. Ah, did you? Okay. Uh, if I'd known that, I would have asked him about that because that's interesting. Yeah, that is. It's very interesting. Um, but this is also the part where you realize what Dana actually does in the film, which is not not a whole lot. She essentially her her character's entire premise is to point out the obvious. Right. <laughs> you know, she says she. Uh, during this storm where Robbie is eaten by the tree, the entire family runs out of the house. After Robbie is down from the tree, Dana runs up and says, Mom, Dad, a tornado. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Because, you know, those tornadoes that come and pick up a tree and then just... Right, right, 100%. So at this point, everybody's freaking out because they've now realized that nobody knows where Carol Ann is. Mm -hmm. So they start racing through the house, looking for her, calling out to her, no answer. Little bitch just does not want to be found, right? And so I think this is a good point um, to raise as far as the Twilight Zone episode. Um, yeah, yes. yes. I did watch the clip you posted. So it's very similar. I believe Stephen King actually based Poltergeist around um, that episode, which was he, written by Richard Matheson. You keep saying degree. Stephen King. What did Stephen King have to do with Stephen this production? Spielberg. <laughs> you know, it's very confusing. They have the same first name. Mm. Yes, yes, I can imagine. Well, but, that would be really confusing. <laughs> but that episode um, really is it's the template for the plot of this movie. It, it really is. After watching that 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 clip that you posted, because I did not get to watch the whole thing, right. I was really surprised at the similarities. It really is the template for this entire movie. Right. I mean, right down to the dog. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. back to Carolyn. Carolyn has disappeared, and they are they go back up into her room and they're freaking out. They're pulling all the the furniture that has been uh, moved and and just randomly thrown around. They're pulling it out. Now, this is a part that I didn't understand, right? They finally uncover a pink bundle in the closet. Mm -hmm. Why does everybody start to cry? Because they think they found her. But they think she's dead. Like, the, the way that they're crying, it's not relief. It's, uh, it's grief. No, it's relief, it's relief to me. That's how I... I See, I, I disagree. With the looks on their face and the emotions, It to me, it looked like grief. No, and it, it, it never did make sense to me. No, to me, it's like uh, relief. It's relief okay. that they finally found well, no. their, their, so, their emotional. Here's, and here's why I disagree with that, right? So when the mom pulls the cover off of that stupid clown, she sighs with relief. No, I, I, I think that's just the reaction that she had when she thought she had found her. 
but then she was just like, "Oh my god, no!" It's it's like exacerbated. Yeah, I have, I have I I think the exact opposite of you on that scene, but it doesn't detract from the movie, so we'll move on, right? It's okay to be wrong, Jim. It's all right. It, it is. It is okay to be wrong, Mark. I hope you learned that lesson one day. <laughs> I'll never learn that lesson. <laughs> so at this point, Robbie is in. Uh, uh, a bedroom in front of a TV and he hears Carol Ann calling out to her mom. And he starts to scream. Everybody runs in and they realize Carol Ann is calling out from the TV. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. So now we flash forward. Steve, I, I don't know how long, but Stephen shows up at a university speaking to a team to, to try and find help to get his daughter back. And he looks like shit. Dark right. circles. He's very sweaty in this from here on out in this movie. Oh yeah, not slept, just probably drinking whiskey. Yeah. You know, just going insane in that house because you would, right. especially when you see what's going on in that room, you would probably right. start to lose it. Right. And this is where we get introduced to Dr. Lesh or Lush as I like to call her cuz she does drink a lot. <laughs> so this is another interesting fact that I just realized after watching this movie for the umpteenth time. There's a little bit of math coming. Are you ready, Mark? Oh, Jesus. Go, go ahead. Dr. Lesh, Dr. Lesh asks Stephen, who are the people affected and what are their ages? Mm -hmm. He starts oh, with... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So Diane, they must have, they must have uh, Dominic Dunn uh, when they were like 15 or something. Right? Yes. that I had never noticed that until this this watching it this time for this podcast. Yeah. He yeah. says, Diane, my wife is 31. No, 32. Sorry. And Dana, our oldest, is 16. That makes them, they had to have been either 15 or 16. Right. Which is, which was surprising to me. So anyway. It happens, that, that, it happens. That, is the, that is the only, only thing of note that I wrote for that. So now they come to the house to investigate, right? And this, I'm not going to lie, the, the scene on the stairs that I'm about to describe gets me emotionally every single time. Right. So the mom and dad get Carol Ann to respond and start talking to her. And at some point she says, there's somebody else here, mom. Mm -hmm. And you, you can hear in the little girl's voice, the horror because she's being chased through the house. And right. Diane goes to run up the stairs to try and find her daughter because she wants to help her. And this giant gush of wind comes through and she's, oh my God, my baby. She just walked right through me. Look, I can smell her. I can smell her. I get misty every time I watch that scene. Every single fucking time. You are an emotional being. I, I know. I know. As much as I hate to admit but, it. Every but I, time. But I, think, I think Joe Beth Williams really sells that as much as Oh, my God. She, it was phenomenal. So um, after that whole scene where they, you know, where we have that, the beast comes, right? You hear the heavy footsteps. The beast comes. And this giant gust of wind just blows everybody right off their feet. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of the scene. Dana freaks out. I got to go to Lisa's. I got to go to Lisa's. Okay, honey. Okay, honey. So they do. We don't see her again until the end of the movie. Her or Ebuzz. No, no. Ebuzz hasn't left yet. He leaves the oh, next no? morning. Oh, I yes. thought. I thought. Oh, he. Oh, he leaves with Robbie, right? He leaves with Robbie, and this is the part. That, well, that, I'm, I'm still getting ahead of myself. So mm -hmm. everyone's asleep after that happens, and one of the techs, I think his name was Roger, gets hungry. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so he goes and gets some steak and eggs. He's going to make himself some dinner. 
And as he's pulling the stuff out of the Freeling's fridge, you see all this weird stuff start to happen with the food he's taking out. The uh, the steak starts to slide across the counter and then starts to bubble up and out pour the maggots and the eggs start popping and sizzling on the on the counter. Mm -hmm. And he goes to vomit from looking at the maggots into a washroom sink. And all of a sudden, he notices all this peeling on his face and he just starts ripping at his skin and peeling everything, right? The most disgusting scene in the entire movie, which was phenomenal. I loved it. Fun, fun piece of trivia about that, Mark. It was, it was Steven Spielberg's hands? Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> I thought um, that was pretty great. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't think you get away with that scene in um, a PG-rated movie. Not anymore, okay. no. Uh, I just kind of want to go back. So whenever, uh, just prior to that happening, I love the scene where it's Joe Beth Williams, uh, the, the lead person. What's her What's her name? Dr. Lush, did you say? Lush. 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 And, um, <laughs> and they're just having this whisper conversation. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yep. And, and I just love that scene because I think it's very hard probably to get that sound level right. But yes. You can really, it's a whisper, but you can you can still hear it. And, you right, because you can still hear the pops, like the P's I, and the B's, and you can hear all the pop. They did a very I, good job. Yeah, and I think it's very humanizing, again, good writing it as is. far as, you know, um, is it Diane? It's Diane, right? Um, Diane's the mom, yep. Yeah, she's talking to the, the, the doctor, and the doctor's like, I'm scared too. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah, and you know this. This is also you know very much um, the same type of thing that you see in this Insidious. Whenever they bring in like the paranormal crew, yes, um, yes, anyway. I have yes. stories about that movie. <laughs> uh, That'll be interesting. So the next morning, we say goodbye to Robbie and Ebots. Now this is the part that would never, ever happen today. Tell me, tell me what they do. Mark, they go on a taxi by themselves. Yeah. The, dog, the boy and the dog at the time would not have been considered out of the ordinary. Nowadays, yeah. you'd be fucking nuts. <laughs> He's right? got evil there to protect them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so now the do Dr. Lesh says, we're leaving, but I'm coming back and I'm bringing help. But whoever the hungry tech was, I don't know if his name was Roger. One of them was named Roger. Right. And yeah. He also got a bite out of his side. He did. He did at the uh, at the very end when uh, of that scene after he peeled his face off. Which which I think is also important because it shows that you know it's not just you know from that previous one it's like a hallucination you know that kind of thing. right. But that shows you okay. Well, you could actually really get hurt here. So. Right. That 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 raises the stakes. There's physical damage that can be inflicted here. It's not just ghosts and 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 you know table knocking and all that shit so next who, who do we who do we meet at this point mark zelda rubenstein yes but what is her character's name uh she is tan tangina barons i was going to say uh tanzia <laughs> tangina barons yes she is she is our uh, our mighty little conqueror she is coming into this house to free the freelings, right? And she is a fucking liar. But we'll get to that. <laughs> How do you really feel there, Mark? <laughs> Go ahead. 
so no, I'm, I'm, honestly i'm just going to gloss over this part because this is the entire climax of the film this is where they go into the i i don't know what you want to call it, inner space or into the heart of the house and they get caroline back you know, I'm not going to go through the whole tests that they run and all that crap. Right. But there, there is a good line in there when, um, oh, when I will go in, I'll get her and, you know, Diana's like, oh, you, you've never done this. She's like, you're right. You do it. <laughs> right. She's like, you've never done this before. And she says, and Diane says, neither have you. And she goes, you're right. <laughs> so that was, that was pretty good. I, I do think that there was a lot of humanity in this film. And I think that's what's missing from a lot of modern day uh, familial horror. You don't have that chemistry or the humanity, you know? You can right. tell in the newer stories that the only reason these people are on your screen is so we can torture them. So we now think that everything's over. Caroline and Diane have been brought into the tub. Everything's great. Everything's fine. They're going to move. We're done. Why do they think it's over? Because Tangina says this house is clean. Fucking liar. <laughs> so <laughs> um, the next morning, they're packing. No surprise, they want out. They are done with this this facility or this house. They are done dealing with this shit. Right. So Stephen goes to tie up a few loose ends at work. Says he'll be back. Let the kids conk out if they get tired. Mom goes in to dye her hair because she's got these this new fabulous gray that her daughter doesn't like. So she's gonna dye her hair and take a bath. I still don't understand why the light over the bathtub is red. It's, re it's the 80s relaxing uh, spa light for your, your bath. I don't know. <laughs> I, I Yeah, I don't remember my... I, I lived through the 80s and I never remember my anybody that I knew at that time having a red light over their bath. But anyway, that's beside the point. So now at this point, mom has blow drying her hair. She's sitting on the bed and she gets attacked. And the fun fun fact about this scene... Mark, do you know how they accomplished her crawling across the ceiling? Did they have a room on a gimbal? I don't know what the hell a gimbal is, sir. So it's what it's the same sort of effect they use for Tina's death in um, Nightmare on Elm Street, where they had a room that they could control, they could move around. Yeah. So the room, the room actually did a 360 while the camera was bolted to the ground. Yeah. yeah. So mom gets dragged across the ceiling and then goes to run after her kids this was the most gut-wrenching thing when caroline realizes what's happening and she says no more that 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 kills you inside when you hear that kid say that it was it was gut-wrenching mm -hmm. so long story short they get away they find out that the corporation that is building the housing developments what did they do mark they moved the cemetery and uh, yes, and who who was um, Craig T. Nelson's boss? I don't know the actor's name. That that is the fabulous James Karen, um, uh, probably best known for Return of the Living Dead. But yes, he, he was in absolutely everything. Um, he yes, was. So they, they they built it over a cemetery. Uh, they moved the cemetery, but they only moved the headstones. They didn't move the uh, coffins, etc. This is the only reaction in the entire movie that I think is way too over the top was him screaming at his boss when he just keeps screaming why, why, why at the top of his lungs. That was a bit much for me. Uh, well, I think he showed restraint. I would have popped that guy in the face. Well, yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, but I'm just saying that the level of his voice at that moment 
I thought was just too much. I thought that it was a bit of an overreaction on the actor, yeah. you know, from an acting standpoint. So, so I, I just want to go back a little bit and pick out two of the big points that um, in kind of that last section that people always sure. mention. Uh, we have the scary clown scene. Uh, the oh, scary yes, yes. Doll. Robbie getting Robbie getting choked, yes. Right. And then we have the swimming pool full of real skeletons, right? They use real yeah, skeletons. Yeah, I, I, I dropped that little nugget on Ray when we were watching the film, and he's like, those were all real? Yeah, because it's cheaper to get real skeletons and have yep. someone build one. Um, yeah. Which again, the, the, you know, that goes into the stupid curse thing. But they, they use real skeletons in horror movies since the start of, you know, making movies. So right, none of those were cursed, apparently. Well, you don't know about that. Well, I, well, I Just suppose. I suppose, you know, if, if you look back <laughs> at the original, you know, um, Universal uh, Dracula with uh, Bela Lugosi, um, I, I, sit down, Jim, if you're not already, every single person involved in that movie is dead. <gasps> no, must, you don't there say. Must, there, must, there must have been a curse on it. I'm sure we could find parallels if we needed to. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, so, so now we're at the, the, the end where, um, yeah, so... Uh, so who shows up at this point, Mark? That would be uh, the daughter. And... Yes, Dana shows up. And what is her... I, I'm, I'm fully convinced that this the only reason they showed her on camera again was for the scream she lets out in this scene. Yeah, and she's, was... got a, she's got a very good reaction to it. She does, she does. Because um, she's like, what's going on? Yeah, like, what's I happening? Mean, yeah, where... Look at our equity disappearing. Yeah, exactly. And then as they're driving off, Robbie goes, Dad, Dad, the house is coming. Yeah. It was great. But that that whole that whole end scene where they pull into what is it, the the Hilton or the Ramada or whatever the hotel they get is, you know, the door closes, the music's playing, the credits are rolling, and then you see Steven pushing the TV out of the room. He's had enough of that shit. Well, I think we all have at that point, haven't we? I mean, I wouldn't want to go back. So I think that this is an absolute classic. How many scary clown dolls out of 10 would you give Poltergeist? Nine. I would give it a nine also. Um, so uh, the elephant in the room, who yes. directed this? Uh, I'm honestly, this movie has always, I know Toby Hopper, Hooper Hopper has always been credited with it but this feels like a spielberg film in in tone in content special effects this does not feel like a toby hopper movie hooper uh um, yeah. <laughs> just think of jaws <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true um yeah so i i believe uh spielberg was also shooting another movie and there was something to do with you can only shoot one movie at a time and you know there's a calendar thing that um, he brought brought toby hooper in Right um, now, how much did Toby Hooper have to do with setting up shots and camera angle and actor direction? I mean, that's all a bit hazy. Yeah. Uh, at, at the end of the day, I mean, my opinion is that if you've seen other, especially of that era, Spielberg movies, and you saw this one, you didn't know who directed it, you would guess it's a Spielberg film. Steven Spielberg. Yeah, the same, the same can't be said of um, you know Toby Hooper 
other movies, right? So right, because all of his other films that I've seen have a gritty aspect to them, and they're they're I, I don't know they they almost feel dirty, you know. I I don't know how else to describe it. Like the opening credits for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like it, it's got a gritty, dirty, um, almost fatalistic feel to it. This does not have that same aesthetic. Right, and you know, again, you could say how much of it is Spielberg's writing too, right? Because uh, he's just directing. You know, well, no. It, so for me, it's not even so much about the writing. I'm just talking about visually. Visually, this does not feel like a Toby Hooper film. Yeah, and I and I agree. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, do I really care one way or the other? No. Uh, does make a difference. It's a fantastic good, movie. Good for to Toby having that in his resume. Um, of course. R.I.P. Toby. Yeah. Um, but um, do you have anything else you want to say about Poltergeist? Well, I just have the uh, listener feedback that you uh, committed me to. Other than that, <laughs> I don't have anything else to say. Okay. So, listener feedback that Mark solicited and then committed me to following up on. The only, the only feedback that I saw based on your post was by Sarah Miley Cooper and her exact words, Poltergeist is one of my top five favorites. Where to begin? The semi-yuppie but hippie parents with the suburban dream lifestyle, tracked home as being the real evil all along in corporate greed, sprinkle in death wish, mass suicide, doomsday cults, and paranormal college field trip, and you have a hit. I was about to see. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And we always enjoy feedback. And if you have any questions for either of us, too, I mean, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Marco commit me to doing, to making answers. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> any more work that you want Jim to do, just yep. let me know. Right. So, Mark, your turn. All right. So, our next movie um, is The Changeling. Now, I picked this again thinking, well, you know, I'll, I'll give Jim, you know, some gold here. You know, it's it's not pushing the boundaries of anything. It's very archetypal um, ghost movie, which other movies have have really you know, taken a lot from. Right. Uh, and uh, your response to me, uh, very short, because obviously we wanted to, to discuss it here, was that didn't age well. Now, Jim, so, can you can you explain your your words to sure. myself? And Absolutely. So I, I I have a feeling that. Um, had I seen this movie when it originally came out or sometime thereabouts, I would have a nostalgic connection to this movie because it, it is your stereotypical 80s ghost haunting mystery type movie. And I do really appreciate those. However, watching this now with that disconnect, it, it was not good. I, I do not have a nostalgia to it because i don't think i saw the changeling until maybe maybe the mid 90s okay so I, I didn't watch it in, in you know the glory decade of the 80s which right where, where i watched most of uh <laughs> the most volume of horror movies at that time and obviously a lot of 80s movies but we can go through this and uh you know i can tell you why i think this is an absolute classic right you you give us your wrong opinion and i'll tell you why i feel the way i do <laughs> Jim, um i i go grab a glass of wine no i don't think i need any i'll just i'll just tell you why you're wrong all right so the changeling we have uh the wonderful george c scott are, are you a fan of george c scott let me ask you honestly in every other thing i've seen him in yes he is fantastic i disagree 
Fantastic. I think he I think he overacts in way too many places and has uh, very underwhelming reactions in others. Uh, you're okay to be wrong. Um, so um, we'll start off. So we have um, his name is John in the movie. So uh, him and his wife and his young daughter are out in the snow. Their car is broken down and um, he's pushing it up. He's going to uh, get into the phone box to call for AAA. Before you get too deep, before you get too deep in this, that that right there started off on a bad note because many a time was I stuck trying to help push a car out of a snowbank. So already I'm I'm not enjoying this experience. Go have on. You had, have you had to do that in Florida much, Jim? Not in Florida, but I did not grow up in Florida. <laughs> so so that 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 really just set you. I I hate this yeah. move because yeah, that it pretty up. much yeah, that, that that's what did it. That oh, is what did it. Yes. There we go. You know, this is almost like a therapy session. It is. It is, and cheaper. Well. It, well, I have to send you a bill now. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> um, so, so we have um, the scene where he's, uh, you know, they've, they've pulled the car over to the side of the road. He's in the phone box. He's, uh, you know, calling for help. Outside, he sees that there's a car kind of pr going pretty fast and a truck going pretty fast in the other direction. And they're uh, sliding all over the place, which yeah. is apropos for that that environment. Right. And he knows what's going to happen. So um, the truck crashes into the wife and daughter killing them. So this isn't a very um, happy movie, by the way. No. <laughs> you know, it, it's no. not like Laughs and Giggles. It's not like Poltergeist. Where yeah, there no. Is it, there is no feel-good part to this movie. Um, so, you know, so a, a little bit of time has passed. Um, he's Four months. Yeah. Four months. There you go. He's packing up um, all his stuff because he's going to move to uh, Seattle to take up a job in a university uh, teaching music because he's a composer. Um, while he's getting, while his housekeeper is uh, putting, you know, getting some of his stuff ready to move, um, a, a red ball drops from one of the boxes. Mm. Uh, he has a flashback of um, his daughter and him playing with that, that red ball. So obviously it's, you know, there's that emotional co uh, connection there. Um, so now he's in Seattle and obviously he's got friends there. Um, you know, uh, I have questions. Go ahead. Okay. No, no, go ahead. Throw the mic. No, no, keep going. I'll, I'll stop you when, when okay. you get to this part. Uh, <laughs> So, um, so he's, he's talking to his friends, a little bit of exposition, talks about the accident um, and says, you know, he kind of has to um, move on because he's kind of been stuck, you know, with, with the grief. Um, so he's taking up that university uh, position and right. his, his friends, you know, that they, they have a young daughter and, you know, it's a very sad moment because he's, you know, he smiles at the daughter who's around the same age that his daughter was that runs past him. You know, there, there's obviously still that grief there and maybe a little jealousy, um, you know, that, yeah, that he doesn't um, have the daughter that they do now. Right. So um, here's, <laughs> so he goes to get a house, right? And this is- Yeah, so here's where I have a question. Yeah. He goes to get a house. Where does he go to get this house? Well, his friends know people in the historical society. When in the history of ever has a historical preservation society rented out a house? You'll have to suspend your disbelief. That is not suspending disbelief. That is just garbage, sir. That is a convenient plot device. Anyway, go ahead. I, I Honestly, Jim, I don't know <laughs> enough about the his, historical preservation society to know whether that happens or not. 
that's but I am willing to accept that. That's fine because <laughs> we need him to move into this house, right? We have to, otherwise we have no movie. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I don't mind, you know, a little bit of okay, well, it seems a little weird, but whatever. But you know, it all plays into it because you can get access to the historical records and things like that. Um, so they said, you know, well, this to be honest, you know, they said it hasn't been lived in in 12 years. So obviously they had rented it out to other people. Um, he, he's talking with like the historical society real estate person, uh, <laughs> I guess, um, Claire. And, and, and one thing that you have to look at, at this movie is like the atmosphere. A lot of the atmosphere is driven by long tracking shots and static shots. And sometimes it'll be the character's point of view, but mostly it's going to be this disembodied spirit. So you really get a feeling for that because when they're first in the house, they're talking by the front door. You have this static shot. Yeah. Uh, from the top of the stairs just looking down on them and you can really just feel somebody's watching them from up there somebody's listening to them that, and that's a motif that goes through the entire movie uh whereas we we kind of get the point of view of the ghosts and what they're doing I, I, and, and there's wonderful little um you know just uh pieces within this movie so he's you know obviously can you he, name me one yeah uh, just right now so um, so he, he moves into the house, right? And uh, there's a piano there. They said, you know, it was too expensive to move out. So he's playing the piano and there's a dead note, right? Yes. Um, he gets called away from the, um, from the room and then we see the piano playing and that note is no longer dead. Right. So, you know, just yeah. little pieces like that just add to the overall atmosphere. Then we have kind of a fun, uh, scene, like it's fun. Fun movie. There's no piece but of I mean, fun in this here's, entire here's, movie, here's, sir. Here's, here's the one fun scene. So he goes in to teach his class at the university. Yeah, there's like 300 uh, people in there. He's like, 23 people signed up for this, and it's not snowing outside, and, da, 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 and the room is full. So so I thought that was a fun little scene. Um, so <laughs> next, next, we go from, next we go from uh, him on the piano in the class playing a tune saying you'll probably recognize this which is obviously something which he would have written um to um a concert where they're playing the same right. song right now, now this concert um is uh for the historical society uh but there's also a senator there yes who is going to make a speech uh senator joseph carmichael who is the number one donor for the historical society indeed mm -hmm. i wonder why mm -hmm. that is. I, I think you'll get to that later in your discussion so um next we get back to john uh and he's woken up by banging yes mysterious loud, knocking. loud banging which um is familiar are you have you seen did, um the haunting jim i did i actually watched that this week the original yes so you know the banging is also a big part of that movie too it is i actually have a funny story about that but we'll save that for when we actually do the haunting Ooh, okay <laughs> so um i have a question though, because I'm looking, if you want to hear more <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm looking at my notes right and um did, did you miss the part where he goes riding with claire no that's after it i believe okay so i, I mixed it up um right, but right. Wait, so, i didn't I, I guess that must I'm, I must have skipped the part where he, he's crying too. Yeah. So it, and again, I, I made kind of 
because That's a few notes in between. So right. Um, so this is this is where like the point where he's crying. My only thought and my only connection to the character is what a pussy. You are heartless. He, I am, but the problem with it is George C. Scott does not play a grieving father well. I he disagree. Is, I disagree one thousand percent. He is great if you want a cop. He is great if you want a no-nonsense, get down to business and get things done. He does not have the emotional range to play a grieving father. Jim, sometimes I wonder if there's any hope for you. I think at this point, I'm doing just fine, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that part in a second. Uh, okay. But I will say, uh, even in The Exorcist 3, he does some um, great acting that, through grief. Did, did you just say that there's great acting in The Exorcist 3? I mean, other than Brad Dorff's performance, there's no redeeming qualities in that movie whatsoever. Jim, I feel you may be dead to me at this point. <laughs> well, that's not entirely untrue, I'm sure. The, the, the Exorcist 3 is uh, another absolute classic. Um, I, 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 I do, agree, I really I do agree with you there. You, I, you I do agree. Said, I do love The Exorcist 3 for all of its faults. You're weird. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, where were we? Okay, so um, there's banging. He wakes up. Um, he goes to play the piano. A door opens. Um, there's nobody there, obviously. Um, you know, he's playing a song. He's He's got a tape recorder, which will be important going forward, that he's recording his song on. Um, so that, that then, uh, that's when Claire comes over and they go horse riding. Um, gotcha. you know, I, I mixed, I must've just mixed it up in my notes oh, a little bit. Sorry it's, about it's that. Point. But, um, there, there is one point where, um, you know, she's looking at, um, John, George C. Scott, and he just doesn't look right. She's like, what's wrong? And he's like, you know, Kathy, my daughter, she loved horses. Yeah. And then the next scene, we have him absolutely wailing in his yeah. bed through grief that you didn't like. I, 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 it was not believable. He doesn't have the emotion. He has the emotional range of a basketball. Anyway, go I, on. Jim, I, I really hope we have a lot of listeners because <laughs> I really want to hear their feedback. Uh, you know, he did win an Oscar, right? I, I'm not saying the man is not talented. I'm just saying I don't think he has an emo any emotional depth. He's an actor that has no emotional depth. That that would be a terrible actor. Why? That's we like, have them that, everywhere. That, that's, that's like saying um, this singer has got no range. Oh, but you know they're they're super well known and successful and yeah, it's called auto tune, my friend. So so you think he had an auto tune for his emotions? <laughs> no, I think he tried. I think he put forth his best effort, but it for me his performance fell flat. You know, you know what the funny thing is, Jim, whenever I picked this movie and, you know, we, we kind of talked about it for briefly, I'm like, two classics. This is probably going to be a boring episode because there's no conflict there because we're both <laughs> going to agree that they're yeah. both awesome. But, you know, thankfully, you pulled one out of the bag uh, <laughs> and, and, and you've made what would have been a, a very constructive um, discussion about two classics into, um, you know, just whatever you're talking about, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to admit, at this point in the movie, right, it just, everything starts adding up, or not adding up, but piling up. Like, cue the mysterious knocking, cue the water, cue the kid in the bathtub, you know, but it, it just, it, it starts coming rapid fire at this point. Right, right. So so we've we've had the buildup, we've got the atmosphere set, we have... It, it, it does have a very good atmosphere, I, I will give you that. It, it, it has a very good atmosphere built up in this movie, they, it does have that. And and honestly, you could, 
you know, looking at this movie, there's probably only like five or six main characters. And probably only four of those have major uh, parts to the play. You could very easily make this into a play. Yes, yes, I you think. could. Anyway, so you're right. So we've got the sound of water. We've got the banging, which happened twice in a row at six o'clock in the morning. The sound of uh, the water running. So he's looking around. Right? Oh, you know, you know, what we did gloss over was the ball. Ball has not come into it yet. I don't. Know. Oh, okay. Sorry. Go ahead then. No, so at this point, so he's looking around, you know, he hears the water running, so he eventually finds a bath running. And then we have, you know, this haunting um, image of a boy underwater. So at this point, he's like, okay, what the fuck's going on here? Um, So he goes back to the um, historical society, and, you know, he kind of grills Clara, but, you know, can can you find any more information about this? And can you give me any more details? There is another lady at the historical society, and she's like, you, sh- you know, she this should never... Be she's, yeah, she, she should never have rented that house to you. Yeah, cue the spinster and, warning. We got it. Yeah, and Minnie's a bit of a bitch. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, so she said, um... You know, no, no, no one has lived in it. You know, doesn't want people, right? Which we'll find out is actually not true. She doesn't want it to have people in it more than the house. Well, and there's a reason for that, right? So uh, he's outside of the house, and um, then there's kind of a little bit of an explosion. Uh, yeah, there is glass that comes down, and it's uh, red glass. So he looks up, and there's this window at the very top of the house. Mm-hmm. So he's like, hmm, I don't know if I've been in that room before. Um, right. So he goes, uh, you know, through the house trying to see if he can figure out so where they... Let, let's, let's put this in perspective. He doesn't go through the house. He walks directly to that storage closet and finds the door that's been boarded up. No, I mean, they have a shot of him kind of walking through the corridor, and you can see what he's trying to do. He's trying to right. visualize it from the outside to say... Right. He, he does go the, to one room to look outside yeah, right, where he, would the door to this window or this room be? Yeah. So, uh, but then he, so he, he zeroes right in on it. He's, he found that storage closet. There is an economy of writing within this uh, movie where there's not a lot of downtime uh, whenever it comes to really this section of the movie where they just kind of investigate things and they find things. Yeah, but no, it, it does. You're right. But, it, does, it, it moves. This movie but, does move. It's not boring, but it doesn't feel contrived to me that that part where he finds the room did to me but that is the only the only part that i i felt a little off it felt rushed right so if, if there was a 10 seconds before of him just walking around you would have felt right like would have yeah if, if he, i would i would have felt that it, it was more fleshed out had he spent more time looking to figure out where the room was right but again sort of economy and time yeah. to it, so. right so yeah so he finds a boarded up door he goes into um, the room where the, the window had exploded. He sees, dun, a, small, dun, dun. He sees a small wheelchair. Uh, which, which which from this point on will become the villain. Villain? Yes, the villain. Well, according I, to Claire, anyway. I, I would I would say angry child. It, it, it's, I, I, I was making a joke, but go ahead. You, you, I think they'll understand. Okay, so where was I? Okay, the wheelchair, yes. So he's yeah. in that room. You know, it's, it's very spooky with all the cobwebs and stuff. He finds a journal. Um, it's from January 1909. There's also a music box. Whenever he opens that, the music box plays a tune. It does. 
he recognizes that. Where does he recognize it from? Because that is one of the songs that he has been writing. Um, Claire has come to the house at this point. John tells Claire that the house is actually desperate to communicate with him. Um, right. Takes her to the room. Um, she, okay, okay. So we got to that. Um, she, got, I think she tells him about um, a man named Bernard who had owned the house uh, until a tragedy uh, in 1909. Or, sorry, that might have been Minnie. That was, yeah, that was when they go, was, when they go to the uh, historical society to look up society. previous owners, Minnie tells them about that. Yeah, Bernard. And, that, and, and that's where my favorite part of the movie comes in. That's where they go to the library and they get out the microfiche. I used to love that, that stupid microfiche machine. I would go to my public library once a week just to play with it. Not even have to look up anything. I just love being on that machine. Jim, can you uh, explain to our younger audience what microfiche is? So back in... Back in the old days, they had these films that you would put into a machine so that you that essentially magnified them, and it made it look like you were reading a paper because they were essentially negatives um, that would be magnified on the screen in front of you so you could read old uh, newspapers. And you would have buttons that you would have to turn, and it would go. If you weren't careful, it would just start speeding through. It was like you were moving 500 pages at a time. It was the best. Right. I would I would ask you to explain negatives to our uh, younger audience. Oh God! I really don't want to go in. You know. Down yeah, everything's that. digital now, isn't it? Um. Yeah. So it's interesting that Minnie told him about the Bernard, right? So. Right. Um. Well, I I I feel after seeing the movie that it was a bit of intentional misdirection. It's absolutely misdirection yeah. because um, she knew what had happened to the daughter. Um, of the person that had owned it. Um, she right. died uh, by an accident. I think they said like a horse-driven like coal. Yes, uh, yes. She, yep, she was hit by a horse-drawn cart. Honestly, they didn't need to put this kind of red herring in there. And they don't They don't make it last too long. No, it does not. But I thought, you know, it's interesting that they even put that in there because you get that connection again, John losing his daughter and um, you, the house. Right, so it makes sense, you know. They, it, it's a, a shared grief that that binds them, but that's not what actually happens. Right. So at this point, um, he goes back to the house, and again, almost to reinforce what he's just read. Um, this is a point where the red ball falls okay. down stairs. Um, he gets the ball. It's almost like he wants to move past his grief a little bit, and he he drops the ball. He drives out, drops the ball over the edge of a bridge. Right, because that's a normal reaction to grief, right? Throwing a ball off a bridge. Jim, can you tell me what a normal reaction to grief is? No, I just know it's not that. It could be. There is no normal reaction to grief. You should know this. Well, that is, that is true. I, I do, you know, I, I, I make light. I, I understand everybody grieves differently, but that that I mean, reaction I'm, I'm to me is a bit far-fetched. I'm just busting your red balls. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but he, so he drops the ball over the bridge. Um, he drives back home. And once again, and, and so the way they shoot um, some of these scenes, I love the cinematography. Again, mm -hmm. the ball just bouncing down. There's the acoustics of the ball. Well, too. I mean, yeah, but that that shot where the ball comes has been teleported back. Yeah, it it is pretty ubiquitous for that time period for you know hauntings. Like there's always that gotcha moment where you know you thought it was gone. That, that, that is a pretty common shot to be used of the period, in my opinion. Um, I mean, you look back at haunted house movies. Uh, again, you, you got like the haunting, you got the innocence. 
Legend of Hell House, some of these yeah. classics. I think some of them um, have a common theme through them, which is it's it's almost like a zombie movie, right? You've got a common theme through all zombie right. movies or vampire movies. Uh, but sometimes it's the way it's done. Um, yeah, that that does make a big difference. But right. so, I, so <laughs> our next scene, yeah. um, he goes to the university where he works, and he goes to the uh, psychic research department. Right? Doesn't every college have one of those? Oh, God, maybe <laughs> maybe in the, probably in the eighties. No, no. Probably in the eighties, there no. were there were. Well, I, I saw um, only in Ghostbusters and this movie, <laughs> uh, the entity. I think it had one. I, I don't think it was. I don't think it was a paranormal. No, unit. I think, no. I thought they had something within the university that went along with the psychiatrist. He wasn't in the unit, but I that, think there was a separate that, one for it because that that is possible. I, I honestly have not seen that movie in a very long time, and I have an interesting story about that one too. But I, um, I haven't seen that for a very long time. Yeah, it's very good. Um, so so now we come to maybe like the almost centerpiece of towards yeah. the last act where uh, we have the husband and wife um, who are going to do like a seance. Yes. Um, so And Claire uh, brings her mother. Don't forget Claire's mother. She's very pivotal yeah. in this in this. <laughs> Oh, you know, she has to bring her along. That's something yeah. I think an older person would enjoy anyway. Um, well, she, she does. So through the through the few shots that she's actually in, there, there does seem to be a weird dynamic between the two because they're at the fundraiser where the senator speaks and she serves no purpose other than to be on camera with them. And then the same thing, she's just an extra body in this scene. Right. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, she wanted to get some extra pay. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've got the husband and wife. Um, so the wife is the clairvoyant, right? Mm. And um, you know, she's already uh, as they come into the house, she's already kind of investigating around or, or being yep. drawn to that room. Mm -hmm. um, but they they come down, they sit down, and um, she starts to write. Well, so you know, there, there's actually a term for mediums that use that. Do you know what they call it? Automatic writing. Yes. Yes, I do know that. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, but I, but I think it's a great scene because she's great. She this, is. The, the, she's the fantastic. Thing. And I also love the way the husband enunciates her answers because she's like, "Are you there? Are you there?" Yeah, yeah. she's she's very yeah, she's monotone, and she's she like, just gets like, "Yes." Yes, <laughs> he, she's very monotone through the whole thing, and he is just man going for it. He he right. gives her all the emphasis. It was it was pretty fantastic. And and this is where we get rid of that red herring, right? Because yep. they ask if it's the daughter, um, you know, it's no, it's Joseph, right? right? And you know, there's a part where it's just like help, help, John, help, help is what right. he's trying to uh, is what he's through again we have some really good uh point of view tracking shots um, mm -hmm. you know around this scene um next we get a, a, a point where i don't even maybe you might know if you're an expert that kind of metal pole thing or vase they had in the middle of the uh, table yeah. no I, honestly i have no idea what that is i don't know why it's there other than to fall over and break it's almost like a divining rod or something i don't know yeah i mean 
I, I guess I'd have to be more well-versed in seances. Um, so, uh, so, so they leave and, um, Joseph has, uh, sorry, uh, John has been recording this, uh, with his, uh, you know, previously set up, um, tape player. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's listening back to it. Uh, now he's, he hears a voice where he didn't yes. hear it before. So where she was writing down the name Joseph, now he hears Joseph. Joseph. Joseph, and in my father's room. Yes. So, um, so again, we're we're kind of unraveling the mystery here a little bit. Is, is this where he gets the vision, though, of what actually happened in the room? Right. So, because um, I want to talk about that scene. So, if I'm right. if I'm in the wrong spot, let me know. No, go ahead. So, in this in this scene, is this where he gets a vision of what actually happened in that room and how Joseph died? Yes. Okay. So he gets this vision. Joseph is taking a bath. Joseph is an invalid. He, he can't walk. So his father has put him into the bathtub. And at this point, the father is so sick of the bullshit, he grabs the kid's legs and holds him under the water until he dies. Hang on. So sick of the bullshit, Jim? Yeah, pretty what, much. What, what bullshit is that? I'm assuming it, it in his eyes, it would be taking care of an invalid child. <laughs> not quite, but you're almost there. Okay, so explain to me, oh great Swami. Okay, it's it's not about having to take care. Oh of no, it's about the money. Child. It's about the money. Right. He thinks that that kid is more likely to die uh, before he turns eighteen, um, and if he does so, then the will of his wealthy wife, who's also passed away, um, does not go to him. It reverts to him. No, no, it goes to. Like, oh no, it goes to charity. It goes to charity. Yeah. That's right. So in order to keep it, yeah, he he killed his son. Right. Um, so and so I don't anyways, I don't know if this is a vision or if this is just more a explanation to the audience. Honestly. Right. It may, it may be. I I think it's a vision because it gets further into the movie. Another character has a vision of what actually happened. Also, at in the penultimate scene. So I I do at least in my opinion consider it to be a vision. Like he he I imagine he's seeing everything as it's happening. But right. my, my question about this scene, that kid is pounding on the sides of that bathtub. Why did he not just pull himself up out of the water? Because he was a sickly young kid and his much stronger father was holding him by his ankles under there. <laughs> right, by his ankles. Mm-hmm. So all he had to do was pull himself up a little bit to get above the water line and he would have been fine. So so it's the kid's fault. In this movie, yeah. Or bad writing. I mean, you take your pick. So I, 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 <laughs> I think again, you could sit and nitpick like little tiny things. Well, why didn't he do that? Well, at and, the end, of I, the, at, at the end of the day, it wouldn't really matter because the dad would have just held his head under the water. Well, but, but I mean, that's... you want to you get that you want to get that image of just him holding his ankles up, which I think is almost more brutal than him with his hand on his head. See, um, and we, we definitely have different opinions on that because I found it to be almost uh, an amusing scene. I, I There was no emotion there for me at all because of the ridiculousness of how this kid died. Jim, do you have a heart? I, I don't know. I might need to check. <laughs> uh, you, you, you are one, one brutal man. I will tell you. I am because, I mean, it's not, it's not to sound heartless or anything, but it's a connection to the film. And because I know I had no emotional connection to this film because I could nitpick it. Do you know what I mean? I, I've never seen it before. And I was picking apart everything unintentionally. Like I, that's how I know well, that this was just these, not a movie these, for me. Right. Right. These are, these are so, so small and inconsequential parts. Right. 
that it's weird to me. Okay, so just moving back to the plot here. Um, so John calls uh, Claire, but he's like so overcome with all of this emotion, he faints. Um, Claire, Claire gets there, and he he um, shows her the recording. He also shows some of the the automatic writing. Um, right. on, on that, there's uh, Sacred Heart, and uh, Claire says that was the name of an orphanage. So again, right. we're getting closer to you know what, what's going on here. Right. Um, then we have the shot of the wheelchair at the top of the stairs. Dun, dun, dun. Almost like he's like, yes, come on, keep on, you know, looking into it, keep on, you know, investigating. I don't know. Based on Claire's reaction, I mean, she she screamed her damn fool head off whenever she saw that that um, right that wheelchair. Yeah. How else is a ghost going to make an impression? I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> Um, so, so then we have the scene where uh, Minnie is uh, calling the senator about John going through. Uh, why would she? Why some, would she do that, Mark? But why? Because yeah, why would she do that? She's a. She obviously is uh, knows about what's going on. Uh, oh. She's trying to let. So she's a. So she's a mole. Yeah. So that's why she was misdirecting them before, and that's why she said, "You know, the house doesn't want anybody. She shouldn't have rented it to you. She oh, doesn't want any, She doesn't want anybody in that house. Yes, because she's working for the senator. Yes, who again is the number one donor for that society. So she's probably right. getting a nice little kickback. Very uh, possibly." So, so basically, the, they find out that you know the whole 1909 thing uh, didn't make any sense with the with the girl getting killed in that accident. So they find out that there was a Carmichael, um, Bernard, uh, I don't remember the first name, but Carmichael, obviously the same as the senator. Oh, uh, is that where I've heard that name before? Hmm, interesting. <laughs> had lived there um, until 1906, right? Uh, and they find out that Joseph had uh, like crippling arthritis. And um, they said that he was going to go abroad to get some treatment. Um, mm. He didn't come back until after World War One. So that wh when did World War One end, Jim? Do you know? I, I don't. Nineteen eighteen. I'm, 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 I'm horrible. I, I'm horrible with history, and I, I apologize for that. So, <laughs> so nineteen eighteen. So obviously, um, he would have come back as uh, you know. A, 16 to 18 year old right um, so this is a point where jo john really figures out that there was a swap done or right. the changeling um i mean that, that is a little bit of a misdirection too the the title of this film um it, it definitely makes you expect something different it may, because, it always, do you know the definition of a changeling it's when you swap somebody for somebody else well, more more than that, though, it's generally done or it's generally referenced with um, the fae folk or, um, you know, a demon of some sort taking over in place of oh, a human yeah, yeah, being. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, I, so originally, that's what I thought. That's where I thought this movie was going to go. But it turned out it was all just humans being horrible people. So. Does that contribute to your uh, disappointment with this movie? No, no, not at all. <laughs> because I because I had already seen um, similar movies and and read about this movie, I I already knew what the gotcha or twist ending was going to be. Oh, 
that's sad. <laughs> um, okay, so so now um, you know Claire asks, you know, do do you think the senator um, knows about this? And that that's kind of like an open question for a little bit, uh, I think, in this yep. movie. And I, I I think he does know, but he doesn't really want to admit it. Yeah, um, he doesn't want to admit it because he somehow you know even though he's only been a car joseph carmichael since he was 16 or so he he believes he is joseph carmichael uh, he could have been joseph carmichael from he was 12. as soon as been, but, but even still at that point you're old enough to still have memories you know what i mean right but you're, he, he you're, would have remembered his previous life and not denied it as strongly as the senator did so and you don't know how he was brought up though you're you're absolutely right because well, get back into the story. We'll find out a little bit about the suspected swap. Right. So, so at this point, um, they they you know they, they go and they, they they find his will and they find out really the motive for it, where you know he wouldn't get um, the money if he didn't have a healthy son. Um, right. So um, John also is looking at the the blueprints of the properties um, that they owned, and some was sold and some were sold off. Um, right um, he, he figures out there's a well somewhere and he's like huh that's not the well that seems like somewhere where you could dump a body right mm. um but now there's Never a been there with, with somebody living there so he goes to the house um and uh basically, and at this point at yeah. this point it is revealed the only reason the mom led him into her house why, why yeah. did the mom agree to hear him out because he talked about uh, when the banging, et cetera, started happening in his house, that's when the mm -hmm. daughter um, that lives in the house started having visions and nightmares of, of a young boy. Trying to come up through the floor. Right. Um, so, yeah, so um, where, where are we? Okay, well, okay so we, we've done the charity thing as far as the will um she, the, the woman at the house has a very really weirdly normal reaction right because yeah john is like hey or she's like i know what you want you want to like cut up my house destroy my floor and dig up a well and she's right. like i have to think about this right yeah and he doesn't just say okay let's just do it um but again her daughter has another very vivid um nightmare or hallucination or vision um so she's like okay let's just do it right <clears throat> so um john and the son of the mother that lives in the house they um start digging up the well right and, uh, as he's digging down um he finds some bones very small child's hand almost hobbit like if you will right and again, they, they do what a normal person may do at that point. They call the cops. Right. But, but mm -hmm. they never do justify to the police how they knew that that was, that was there. No, he, he told the cops that he had like a vision of it or, or, or something like that because the cop brings it up afterwards. To yeah. Um, yeah, so there's no good reason. But, you know, he couldn't really be a suspect because obviously that kid's been there for 50 years, <laughs> a long, long time. Right. Um, uh, one other thing that's very important in this movie is that the, you know, the, the original son, Joseph, he was wearing a medal 
And I guess this metal is almost like, you know, a signet ring or something like that, that they must have used to say, hey, I'm actually this person. Um, well, th there was also an engraving on the back with his name. Right. But it, it's, it's you know, it's, it's particularly important because the senator has a similar one. Right. Right. Um, but that'll, that'll be more important later. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, the police go away, but John still, you know, he, he still wants to go back to see if there's anything there. Um, well, right, because at that point, he hadn't was, found the metal. Right. He was looking for that metal. Right. And the metal uh, just snakes its way up by itself. Um, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Um, so he shows Claire the metal and uh, decides he's going to go confront the senator. The senator's about to board a plane. And, mm -hmm. uh, he's like, hey, I know, you know, who you aren't, basically. You're, right. <laughs> you know, and he, he's kind of flashing the metal as the security guards are taking him away. Uh, so John goes home and all the doors start slamming. Yep. And John is like, what do you want from me? I've done everything that I can. Right. Obviously, you know, the... Okay, so um, obviously uh, Joseph is pretty upset and he hasn't got what he wants yet. Um, the, uh, our next scene, um, the senator has been pulling strings um, since the airport incident. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh the local captain of the police force, Captain DeWitt, gets sent to the house. Uh, basically, he goes in there and starts accusing um, John of trying to blackmail and, and start issues with the senator, et cetera, et cetera. And he's right. ready to shake him down. Um, at, at the same time, um, Claire arrives, too. She's very upset. Right. Um, and we find out that, again, fucking politicians... Um, he's managed to cancel the lease for John uh, to live in the house, and Claire yes. has lost her job too. Right, stupid and, bitch should never gotten involved. Right. <laughs> um, so I sound really misogynistic and heartless in this episode, don't I? Well, maybe you are. I don't know. Maybe I guess. <laughs> um. John looks in the mirror at this point and it smashes. And then we cut to um, DeWitt, who's already left. He's been in a mysterious car accident where no other cars are on the road. But how, how does John find out about this car accident? Um, I believe Claire. Yes, Claire. she calls him. She's she's in the she left she's, too. In, yeah. she's in the very convenient phone booth that's right next to where the car crashed. Well, doesn't that bring you back to the uh, opening scene? Not so much. A car crash and a phone booth? Yeah, I mean, whatever. <laughs> like I said, um, I was disconnected from this movie. So this, I, this is one aspect that this is the one aspect that annoys me and it annoys me in a lot of like supernatural stuff. Yeah. Um, where the ghosts can sometimes just automatically kill people. Mm. Like, why don't you just kill the fucking senator then? Oh, if that's you, coming. That's just not, well, I know, it, but, it hasn't happened yet because it's not in the script yet. No, I know, but that, uh, that's similar in like Amityville and like a whole bunch of ones where, you know, they'll keep the main cast alive. Mm -hmm. but if the uh, ghost wants to show its power, they'll kill off a side character. by the Oh, movie. like, like Witchboard. Yeah. That the, the classic Witchboard. Yes. I, I do love that movie, even though in all of its ridiculousness, it is, it is oh, amazing. Anyway. 
So, um, so yeah, so uh, Dewitt's dad um, and um, Carmichael finds out about this, right? Mm -hmm. um, John decides to go to Carmichael's um, home. And right? we, we are now in the climax of this movie, right. just, so, just so the audience is aware of where we are at in this movie. And, and we are, um, he, he's going to confront Carmichael and like a fucking politician, um, his Im immediate reaction is, oh, you're trying to blackmail me. Um, I'm guilty. How much money do you want to go away? John is not interested in money. John just wants to, you know, find some closure for Joseph. So he leaves the medal there. He's like, here are the tapes. Here's the medal. There's no copies. I don't want anything from you. I'm done with this. Um, and at the same time, Claire is actually um, going to John's house uh, too. So again, we get a lot of the, the point Wait, of view. But... You, you missed... Wait, is this what? the... Did we miss the part where Claire gets attacked? No, this is a point where she's at the house. Okay. And there's lots of the point of view uh, camera movement shots uh, going around the house. And she hears John's voice upstairs. Mm -hmm. Not John, as the audience we know, um, because he's not there. He's... We are omniscient in this movie. Right, right. Then we get the wheelchair chase. So the yeah. wheelchair is coming. Which, after Claire. which further this furthers my point. The wheelchair becomes the villain of the movie to Claire. <laughs> yeah, again, it's almost like it's the bottled up rage of this kid, right? Yeah, but uh, why is it only attacking the, the woman? Well, because she's there, and that's its scope. <laughs> because it's in the <laughs> script. <laughs> because it looks cool. Does it? Uh, does it though? Of course it does. <laughs> um, so yeah, so so at this point there's there's kind of like shenanigans going on with the ghost in John's house. There's fires being set by it. John gets knocked over. There's a, a huge chandelier that's swinging, which eventually comes down. Um, it just seems like this entity um, has you know just kind of just like lost it. Because yes. these people have helped him, but he's just so mad, so angry still. Um, we then go back to the uh, senator, and he's looking at the two medals, and he throws one away, which is his. And he's going right. to keep one of Joseph. Um, so what does he do with the medal? But do you, do you know why? The medal that the senator had was not engraved. Right. And even if it was, I think he would still want the original, honestly. Well, I'm sure. But no, I don't, I don't remember what he does with the medal. So what he does is he puts the medal on the picture of the father. Mm, okay. And this is the point where you think, well, everything, you know, the, the picture starts to shake. You know, he's mm -hmm. starting to shake too. He's like... Well, yeah, this is where he gets the vision of what, what, it, what actually happened. Right. Or, or what I interpret no. as a vision. Right. Well, and, and this is a point where you think that the senator has somehow come to the, the house, John's right. house. Right. Uh, and, you know, he's walking up the stairs, et cetera, et cetera. But really what's happening is that he's just being shown that. Um, and really he's having like, you know, Joseph is making him have like a heart attack or right. just the stress of it. Um, 
and uh, at, the, at the end we have you know that the house burns down. There's a really good um, shot of the house burning down. I don't know. If yes. Was, yeah. I don't know if it was yeah. a miniature. It didn't look like a miniature, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it was or not. But it, it did. It did look very good. Right. And then we have the um, kind of the and shot of the burnt wheelchair in the rubble, and right? The box which pops open with the you know obviously the the theme that has been playing throughout the movie, at, right? And at this point, John, Claire, and Minnie are the only survivors of this story. Right. And and scene, and scene, absolute classic. So here's the thing. So um, you've watched. Uh, Ringu. I have, yep. The original Japanese? And, or yes, the... I've seen both. Okay. So it's, it's been many years since I watched the original Japanese, but I have seen it, yes. So if you if you look at the changeling, this is kind of the playbook for Ringu. Mm -hmm. uh, minus the curse, but the investigation around it, the kid... Yeah, the I, I do agree. This is the first movie that I've, I've uh, noticed all of the elements of the investigation to figure out you know, what's really going on, where did this come from, you know, get to the get to the history and the and the point right plus the you know the the child in the well you know mm -hmm. the, the person having to go dig up yep. the well right even that is not ending it and etc cetera, etc cetera. right so um i don't i don't even know if i want to ask you but here we go how many wheelchairs am i giving this how many red bouncing balls out of 10 three Fuck off! <laughs> did did anybody else watch this with you? No, just Ray watched part of it, but then he went to bed. It was just me. Um, okay, I, this is a nine out of ten for me. So you're entitled to be wrong. It's okay. Um, I again, I would like a lot of feedback in this from others. <laughs> I don't think you're gonna get it. You're not gonna get what you're expecting anyway. You think so? I, yeah. I might put up see you know whether people think it's a classic or trash well then, then, then really don't get me wrong i i never said it was a terrible movie right hey, i what, i didn't say what, it was, was bad your, what was rating out of 10 too three, three. Mm -hmm. that, that if i rate a movie three out of ten it's garbage i i don't necessarily i i just don't i think like i said earlier i think if i had seen this in its heyday or when i was a bit younger so that I had some sort of connection to it, I would, I probably would enjoy it more. But as an adult, this movie lacks so much for me. Well, I, I'm glad of the movie that I picked for next week. <laughs> you, you really, you really screwed me on that one, huh? Uh, well, you know, we, we'll see because this, that, this that's my penance, is it? This was a nice, easy one to watch. Even if you liked yeah. it or nice. Yeah, it was. It was. It was not a bad. It was not a bad watch, and it would be okay to have on in the background when I got nothing else to watch on TV. I, I would not. I would not shut it off, but I'm definitely not going to seek it out. So I think we can move on now. Yeah. To what we've watched, and I know Jim, you have a specific. Movie I, I have three. I actually have three things. I have three things I wanted to talk about in this section. Do you have anything you want to bring up first? um no i just have a few of what i've watched okay so i went ray and i went to see nope in theaters okay i know that our friend jeff alderman is absolutely over the moon with this movie he he thinks it's fantastic i i if 
if I remember correctly, he's been to see it multiple times. And I'm going to say, honestly, this is the first Jordan Peele movie I've enjoyed. Huh. I think it, I think it was really well done. Um, and it had a few surprises. Yeah, I still have to catch up with that. I um, I like Get Out. Um, I thought it was. I I thought it was. I I thought it was an interesting update of Stepford Wives. And I thought it was a cheap knockoff of the Stepford Wives. Uh, I thought there was enough there that was original enough that it wasn't a knockoff to me. I thought it was very similar, but I didn't see it as a knockoff. But that's just me. Right. Okay, so, so so nope, you would. Uh, I don't really want to talk too much about it. I yeah, no, I don't want to give out any spoilers. I would definitely recommend seeing that, one hundred percent. I actually, th- there's three three movies that I want to talk about, and every single one of them I give high marks. So, so how about you do this? I, I, you've done one. I'll I'll do one, and we yep. can get, go back and forward. Sure. Um, so I watched um, a movie called Suicide Forest Village. Oh, okay. Um, and I, I'm not kind of uh, spoiling our picks for next week, but it's actually um, directed, and I didn't even realize it whenever I first started watching it, by the uh, same director that did Juwan. Oh, okay. So that could uh, be interesting. Takeshi Shimizu. I'm sorry. That's easy for you to say. And I thought this movie was the first hour was like disjointed it i didn't really know where it was going it didn't make an awful lot of sense um i'm like okay i don't know the second half of the movie everything reveals itself right it really steps it up and i thought it was excellent um but that 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 was even um i felt that same way with juan when i watched it so i i can understand that and i still appreciated it this one is even more so of different scenes pushed together. Right. Don't make an awful lot of sense. Right. Until they, until, until there's, there's revelations. And right. It, the, the start of it, it's like, you know, the. I, I, won- I wonder, was that the basis maybe or the inspiration for the forest with Natalie Dormer? Well, well, the forest itself is its own thing, right? So that's a real thing in Japan where people. Oh yeah, yeah, the suicide forest. Yeah. So, so I, I, I don't think one was an influence in the other. I think they both just used that. The same um, setting. That, that, but it is not. It is not. This, it's not about the forest per se. It's, a, it's about a certain other thing that connects to the forest. Got it. Got it. Without giving um, away too much. Yeah. And, and yeah, and that's not that's not a spoiler or anything because again, yeah. you'll see as you go through. But um, I, I was reading up on it, and I guess this is the second in his village trilogy. I don't know if I don't think they're related, other than maybe a village. Okay. Uh, called Howling Village, so I will we'll be watching that too. I I haven't seen that yet. I I have seen the previews for it, but I've not heard the you know the placeholders or whatever. But I haven't watched so, it yet. Both are in Prime. Okay. So my next one is the one that I posted about on Facebook. It was uh, Amma. It's Amma with Sandra Oh. And I'm going to tell you, I enjoyed this movie so much more than I thought I would. This is a great um, Korean ghost story. 
with um, familial ties. It, it's done well. The acting is superb. The special effects are subtle, but so effective. I, I, I cannot say enough good stuff about this movie. I thought it was fantastic. And that's on Netflix, right? That is on Netflix, correct. Yeah, I, I've heard a little bit of buzz about it, but I haven't looked too much into it. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I, I highly recommend that movie if you like a, go, a good ghost story. Well, clearly I do, but you're a little eh about yeah. good stories. <laughs> no, I'm I'm absolutely jazzed about good ghost stories, sir. <laughs> um, Your turn. Okay, uh, I watched uh, Rambo three. <laughs> By the way, I think the first Rambo is uh, our first blood is very underrated. And I do agree. I, I did enjoy that one. In it gets lumped into kind of like the you know the over the top eighties. I mean, it is over the top eighties action. But it really has that spine of, you know, that end scene with Stallone breaking down, crying yeah. eyes out. And you don't really see that in many, you know, macho 80s action flicks. No. Where they, you, know, you, know, like you don't really see Arnie breaking down at the end of Commando and, you know, just losing yeah. it. Yeah, but, or even Stallone in Cobra. I don't think he broke down at the end of that one. And his daughter was at stake, right? Right. <laughs> And I think Rambo 3 is just really kind of the more, you know, it, 2 and 3 just got more and more bombastic, very Reaganist. And yeah. again, this, this is the one where, you know, the, the Americans are helping the Afghanis against the uh, the Russians. And, you know, it's fine. But I did think there was a great line in there. Um, so he's talking to, like, one of his Afghan guides or whatever. And uh, the Afghan guide's like, uh, you know, uh, God sure loves crazy people. Yeah. Uh, Stallone's like, why? He's like, he keeps making so many of them. Yeah, so so that that's just, I mean, I don't really need to review Rambo 3 because it's just big, stupid, dumb. Right. A couple of good little bits in it. Yeah. So my third movie is is not horror, but I cannot, I really, I really hit gold in the last few months with like Asian cinema. Um, because this is uh, a movie, I don't know if you've heard about it, it's called Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yes, and um, don't tell me anything about it. I won't. But, it's not, uh, I don't think that's, I wouldn't consider that Asian cinema though. Well, no, uh, her her Asian heritage plays a, has a strong place in this movie. Right, and, and I kind of got into a discussion about people about where I feel movies, like what's a, what's a Japanese movie and what's an American movie and what's Oh no no! I just I think thematically it's about the Asian family, overall. That's why I say Asian cinema because it's the same thing with Uma. It's about um, the Korean family unit. So I, I consider it to be Asian, uh, you know, Asian right. cinema, or right. maybe maybe I just mean Asian centric rather than the Asian cinema. The directors did something else. I'm trying so to think. everything everywhere all at once with Michelle Yeoh. Um, the yep. The thing that really attracted me, and this is going to sound so ridiculous, and it's going to peg my age so hard. The actor that plays her husband in this movie has only been in two other films. He he was in The Goonies. And right. he was in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yes. I know who you're talking about. I, short, I, short round, right? Short round and data are, are his two other um, 
starring roles. And then he's in this movie. The guy's fantastic. I mean, the absurdity in this movie plus the heart. And it, it's just, it's a fantastic film. I can't say enough and I don't want to spoil it, but it's freaking amazing. And Jamie Lee Curtis is amazing in this film. It's yeah, just, I, I, I have heard, I, I, that this is one on the top of my to watch list. Yeah. The only thing I will say is both Amma and um, Everything Everywhere All at Once, there are some heavy spots where you have to do a lot of reading because of the subtitles when they speak in their native languages. But to me, it did not detract one iota from either movie. Jim, clearly you don't know me. Do you no, I'm just saying that in general. I don't, I don't mean for you personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't mean that for you personally. I'm just saying in general for anybody that might want to see them, like um, they, that might have an issue with subtitles. It does not throw it off at all, in my opinion. Yeah, so, so the directors did another movie, which I meant to see but never did, called Swiss Army Man. With Daniel oh, with, uh, that's with Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, I never saw that. Yeah, but yeah, that, that one seems interesting too. Yeah, and, and I'm not going to lie. There are parts of it that are utterly ridiculous. And the person that plays, the actress that plays Michelle Yeoh's daughter, if I'm not mistaken, is also in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Not seen it. So, well, it's a TV show, so you wouldn't have. No, I know. No, I know. It's it's like the twenties comedy woman or something. I don't know. Fifties. It, it's a woman trying to be a stand-up comic in the in the fifties. I, I, I just quickly fast forward whenever they forced me to watch it before some other Amazon Prime. It, it's actually it's, it's a quality show, but I know your feelings on on TV, so yeah, I, yeah. I get it. But she she's fantastic in in both both roles. I really cannot wait to see what she does. She is really fantastic. But anyway, that's that. Those are my three for right now. So, so the other thing that I watched uh, was the 1979 made-for-TV movie *Satan's Triangle*. I have not seen that one. With Doug McClure, the the oh, legendary Doug McClure. Doug McClure, Edie's husband. No. You don't know who <laughs> Doug McClure is? No, I do not. Okay. I mean, I might know him. I might know his face, but uh, off the top of my head, so, I don't know who he is. Do you know The Simpsons? You watch The Simpsons? Of course. So that's what who they based Troy McClure on. Troy McClure? Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't recognize that Simpsons character. You don't, or you do? No, I don't. I'm, you I'm may know me from such movies as. That's the Troy McClure character. Let me look up. Oh, yeah, I do know this guy's face. I just don't, I, I'm not that familiar with him. Yeah. So that's, that's, he, he was in Very, like, he, he was in was like the, the time, land of time for the, God. Yeah, the land of time for God, humanoids from the deep. Um, the earth and all those. The house things. where evil dwells, which I haven't seen yet. But there's Satan's triangle. Okay. So, so this is a very interesting one. I didn't have really have any ex expectations about going in, but again, it's about the, obviously the B Bermuda Triangle. I was just going to ask that, and I do, I do love some Bermuda Triangle movies. I'm, I'm not going to lie. This one was very interesting because um, it's like he's a helicopter rescue guy, and he's going down because it was a emergency call from a from uh, a boat out in the very middle of the, the Satan's Triangle, and. Uh, he had to go out there and uh, you know see if there was any survivors or pick them up or whatever, and he kind of gets uh, uh, 
isolated on the boat. He, you know, he goes down on the rope and he uh, gets disconnected. So he has to be in the um, boat. He walks around. There's dead bodies there. It looks like there's a guy floating that's dead. Um, and he finds the uh, the one survivor. Right. And basically, she's like retelling it and they show it um, about what she thinks happened. They, they picked up this uh, priest guy and we're talking about it being evil out there. And then certain things happen and characters start to die. And she's retelling it to him from her point of view. Right. She's like, you know, we're never get, we're never going to get out of this. You know, it's evil, you know, blah, 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 blah. But, uh, you know, Doug McClure's character is like, I don't believe any of that. And he kind of explains how all of this stuff could have happened normally. Methane bubbles, right? <laughs> no, well, there's different no, I'm, I'm... Yeah, about different uh, different deaths. And he's like, well, yeah. this, you know, this is probably what happened. Da, 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 da. Right. Um, and, you know, it's a, very, it's a very good explanation of everything. But, you know, they have a stinger ending, so... Uh, but I, I really recommend it. I mean, it's. I'll have to look that up. Hmm? I'll have to look that one up because yeah, I do I, enjoy Bermuda Triangle movies. It's it's on Prime, I believe, too. And that's I think that's what it said too. I I, I bookmarked it so yep. I can take a look. Um, I I meant to ask you. Um, do you play video games? Some, not a whole lot. Okay, I didn't know if if we should do uh, what we've played too. Well, you feel free. I don't play enough to to uh, get invested in that segment, but I will definitely pipe in. Yeah, I, I've not been really playing anything much. Um, I was going to say, did, 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 other did, than the, only new, the only new one that I've noticed that has come out. So I, I do have a few horror-themed video games that I haven't played much, but I do own some. Um, but I did see that The Quarry, which is supposed right. to, that which is getting really good reviews, just came out. Right, and that's the and, guys that made uh, Until Dawn. Okay. What's I guess I should ask, uh, what sort of system do you have or console or? I have a PlayStation Four. Okay, so um, yeah, so you can play Until Dawn, uh, which yep. actually was written by Larry Fassenbender. I don't know if you know who he is, but I don't. He's done a lot of. You, you'll know him if you look him up. He's done, okay, a lot, he's done a lot of horror. So I, I think he's very underrated guy, but it's basically a kind of like the quarry. It's right. more of a make a decision mechanic. So there, there is a game that I loved to play in the early two thousands called The Suffering on Xbox, and it's the exact same mechanism. You you make a choice, and based on your choice is how the gameplay progresses and how the ending is going to come out. Right. And this one is very much more. Yeah, and there's there's been a number of games like that, but this one, the, the Until Dawn, at least, and I think the Quarry does, is going to do it even more. Right, it's much like an interactive horror movie, right? Yeah, is, essentially. Right. Um, what I will say, um, have you played The Last of Us? I ha I own it, and I did start playing it, but I did I did stop. You know. Not not through any fault of the game, just because you know life. Yeah, I, I will tell you this, um, and I finished it probably over a year ago. But The Last of Us Two mm -hmm. is probably the best video game I've ever played. So my my favorite horror themed video game is the Fatal Frame series. I think they have the best atmosphere and the best villains. In my opinion, 
Yeah, I think I've played some of those before. Um, with Last of Us 2, I think it's just the best game I've ever played. Horror. Right. Um, well, no, I, I, I agree with, um, at least with the first game from what I've played so far. Um, I, I think it's really well done. Second one, narratively, on what it does to you emotionally, right. loses it out of the water. I have, I have never felt certain emotions playing a video game right uh, with uh last of us part two right and that's why that's why i think i got so invested in the fatal frame series is because when i was playing the first one um the atmosphere of that game was so well done that the person i was with at the time could not play unless i was home or every light in the house was on <laughs> this this one is not it's not so much scary it's just like yeah you're controlling a character and you, you have to do certain things and you just don't want to because you've been put through a journey with certain yeah. characters. But yeah. at the very start of the game, you would not have thought of that at all. Right. And that's Blair Witch. The Blair Witch video game, which I thought was really well done, um, has a similar story arc where the dog that is your companion through the entire game, you either have to save him or leave him to die. Save him. And the choice you make in that um, affects how the game will end for you. I'd save him. Well, of course you would. I know not, you would. It's not even choice. Save him. Yeah, I, I, I did not um, choose to leave the dog to die, but I no. did read online what happens if you do. Yeah, fuck those people that did that. Yeah, I agree. Those people are inhuman. It's cold <laughs> they black hearts, Jim. Cold yeah. black hearts. Well, that's you what you've been accusing me of all night, right? Yeah, you might identify with them. <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> I identify I identify as a heartless some bitch. <laughs> um, do you have anything else you want to talk about? I do not at the moment. Um, I, I'm I think that's good. I think we should just give them a, a hint as to what we're gonna watch for the next episode. Okay. Um, what is your A movie pick, Jim? My A movie pick is the ever fabulous Sarah Michelle Geller in The Grudge. And my B movie pick is the 70s classic Japanese Hausu, also known as House, which I am looking forward to hearing Jim's reaction to. As long as Donald Duck doesn't make an appearance, I think we'll be okay. Th this one may blow your mind, though. This one may blow your mind. I don't know. I, I seem to recall you having a favorable reaction. Was it you? Um, I, I saw a few favorable reactions to a movie called The Deep House, which I, I thought was abs absolutely ludicrous. I thought it was decent. I, I don't understand how. It's it, Well, I think you have to buy into the concept, right? No, and that's that's the part I have the problem with. I, I was not on board from the beginning. And, the, and that's fine. It's like um, a movie which seems to be universally loved, which I just can't get you know i can't get behind the concept it's a quiet place um yeah i can i can see that i can understand that point i just like that's stupid that's stupid well, it's no worse than <laughs> let's be honest it's no worse than bird box i have not seen bird box and i don't really mm -hmm. want to yeah count yourself lucky well that and quiet place came out around the same time right and i think they were both seen as somewhat similar they they like were you can't, um, at, you can't look at one and you can't you know make a noise in the other right it, it is sensory deprivation but 
I think Bird Box definitely uh, took it to the extreme. Yeah, no interest. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So, uh, is that? It? Do you have anything else? I don't think so. I, I Jim, tell us some anecdotes. <laughs> <laughs> I have no anecdotes. Not today. <laughs> um, if anybody's listening to the end again, we are. Um, if you want to be a guest host. Uh, we have a guest host lined up for not next week, but the week after. Uh, um, just let us know, and we'd be happy to have you on. Uh, you can uh, tell Jim that he's wrong also. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I think that's everything for uh, today's episode. And um, Jim? That is that is the end for me, sir. So I just want to thank everybody for listening. I really appreciate everybody taking the time to... Uh, to join us and listen to our ridiculousness. And uh, the changeling is nine out of ten. Jim's wrong. Okay, thanks everyone. Bye. Uh -huh.